Hello again, everybody. This is uh, Jason Powers. Sorry on the music. And I started off not at the beginning, but we'll replay out on the closeout here. So today uh, we're going to do a uh, broadcast on mass formation, which has become the hypothesis that we are going to operate under because I think it speaks to the terms that we need to start being very clear on uh, towards a host of people. It's much easier to talk to people when they know what the terms are, and I think that's where we're at, and I think that's a good idea, and that's what I'm working on. So while I'm uh, doing this, I'm sharing around my uh, broadcast, so uh, we're doing it live, and from West Lafayette, Indiana, and we'll dive in here pretty soon with all the rest of this. Um, today's been a, uh, a battle to uh, get prepared for this. Uh, I think this is an important podcast today because uh, we're going to share a lot of information. Uh, we're going to go through some history, recent history. Because I think that's the predicate that needs to be talked about with regards to this situation. Um, there's a substantial amount of um, evidence that uh, this, cir- this circumstance didn't just happen today or yesterday. It's been, in, and when you hear about formation, what the, what's the word mean? The word means that it. Uh, um, has taken place over a course of time. Uh, it, form, it forms over a period of time, could be three, five, seven years, or whatnot. And so, yeah, I think that's where we're heading towards uh, in discussing this. Uh, I've been trying to, I guess you could say, um, make some heads or tails of this. So first, um, as I'm setting up here uh, what I'm what I was talking about here um, there's a host of people that I want to keep informed on this so just give me a second here um, so anyway so we're going to start with a, a review before we get to um, uh, Dr. Matthias Desmith and uh, Robert Malone and Peter McCullough they were on a broadcast a couple days ago and they talked out this uh, mass formation. And uh, um, Desmith is the clinical psychologist. Uh, he's um, he's a clinical researcher or um, and also a statistician. So he deals with uh, a host of data, information, collection. And he's been working on this at his, as his uh, uh, situation for quite a while. So... But first, we're going to start going down memory lane, and this is a a montage, and this isn't meant to trigger anybody, but this is a montage of people who have talked about uh, Donald Trump, and you'll understand why I'm going there first, because it lays the predicate. So, we'll see how these go. So, the, the, the way to start the discussion about comparisons is to point out that Americans are extremely lazy about history. I mean, that's one way in which we're definitely number one among major nations. I'm Timothy Snyder. I'm the Levin Professor of History at Yale University. And most recently, I wrote a book called On Tyranny. 
And one of the ways we're lazy about history is that as soon as anyone suggests that the past might be useful, then we say, but wait, it's not exactly the same. And therefore, I'm just going to discard it. And that way, in two or three seconds, we give ourselves an excuse not to think about history. The premise of the book on tyranny is not that Hitler is just like Trump or Trump is just like Hitler. The premise is that democratic republics usually fail. And it's useful for us to see how they fail. One of the ways that democratic republics can fail is Germany in 1933. There are plenty of other examples in the book also from the left wing, like Czechoslovakia in 1948, becoming communist. The point of the book is that these things really happened over and over again, and that intelligent people, no less intelligent than us, experienced them and left a record for us to learn from. So what I'm trying to do in the book is to help us to learn from that record so we don't have events like Germany in 1933 or Czechoslovakia in 1948. Just saying Hitler's not, not like Trump or Trump is not like Hitler isn't going to save us. Learning from the past, though, could. So that... Um that was uh, from 2017, and that was put together by a Yale professor who was writing a book on tyranny. I don't know what his name is, and I'm not going to really worry about it too much. So he was setting a predicate. This was four years ago about Trump in comparison. And, you know, he tells, you know, right away he starts off, Americans are kind of stupid about history. And in some respects that's true. And I think he he's being... Um, yeah, of course, being a Yale professor, what has he had done it to alleviate that uh, stupidity? Uh, certainly, uh, writing books on Trump in 2017 before he'd even completed a year of office is uh, quite telling uh, of, uh, or making comparisons or drawing at broad, broad conclusions. But he wouldn't be the only one in that, that particular uh, boat, but we'll continue. So... We're going to start with, uh, or um, do this uh, quick uh, on uh, Carl Bernstein. Now, this is from just a few months ago, like six months ago. Of course, he's a favorite of CNN. I'm not going to play the whole clip. I'm just going to play until he gets to the key words, and then we'll move on. Carl, uh, one excerpt from this book, uh, Millie on preventing an attempted coup. He says, they may try but they're not going to effing succeed, he told them. You can't do this without the military. You can't do this without the CIA and the FBI. We are the guys with the guns. He was trying to assure many people around him who had concerns. Absolutely. What this extraordinary reporting reveals uh, is something, actually, it builds on what we already knew, that we had a crazy, delusional authoritarian, dangerous, criminal president of the United States. And we knew it through all four years of his presidency. And what's happening in this book and a couple of others and probably more to come is we are now seeing that picture filled out and our worst fears fulfilled through actual specific acts and words of the horror and terror that this deranged president of the United States visited upon our country, the Constitution, uh, and our system of governance. But what's so important here is that there is nothing in these revelations, as awful and terrible as they are, that Mitch McConnell and other Republican leaders did not know about Donald Trump, his character, his authoritarianism, his recklessness, his, his homicidal negligence through the pandemic. All of this was known to our leaders. And the party of Trump and the party of McConnell 
and what we saw in the insurrection, these are all things that were embraced up until the last minute by McConnell and the Republican leadership, and they continue to be embraced, Trumpism, in all its derangement, terror, and horror. So I played that because, of course, Carl Bernstein of Woodward and Bernstein and Nixon and Watergate fame, certainly he he uh, he's brought on to bring some kind of gravitas to the the broadcasts. So obviously those are very harsh and obviously he's, you know, being set up to give that, you know, summary conclusion and talked about books and books to come and everything else. It's quite interesting how, you know, so one of the pillars of this uh, situation is the media, the technocrats. Uh, He talked about the CIA and the FBI. Quite interesting considering the FBI has been uh, operating probably uh, about as lawless as can possibly be um, ascertained throughout our country for the last, I don't know, who knows how long, probably 30, 40 years. They've been setting up, uh, instigating um, situations in Michigan. They've been instigating situations prior to 9-11. Let's uh, just a host of things. So uh, we'll move on to the next thing. I want to get through this quickly or try to uh, get to uh, circumstances and, and get to the money. So this next clip is about 90 seconds. This is from Ian Bremmer, who is a globalist. He was on Al Jazeera, to, Al Jazeera today. I may not have gotten everything I really wanted out of this particular clip, uh, but I didn't want to, I just needed to move on. But uh, he's a... You know, he 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 echoes Bernstein in many cases. He actually, I'll let him talk for himself. Thing to do, in fact. Well, look, uh, the political divisions in the United States have not emerged over one or two years. They've been growing for decades. And so addressing them will be a matter of a generation, not just one president. I do think that putting over a trillion dollars into infrastructure uh, will matter. Uh, I, I think that if they can move on their Build Back Better plan, even a small piece of it, that redistribution uh, is is necessary. And I also think that demographic changes in the United States that will make the United States a minority white country by 2045 will also change the political realities of the country, and political parties will need to adapt to that. But none of those things are going to help us for 2024. Mm. And that's the problem, because the midterm elections coming up this year in November, the Republicans are going to win the House. Mm. They may win the Senate. and They're probably going to win a lot of key state legislatures and gubernatorial races that are critical for certifying the 2024 Mm. election. And Trump who continues to persist in advancing the lie that the election was stolen, rigged against him, is running the Republican Party. And the near-term challenge, that's your pessimism, that's (laughs) not getting addressed even by Biden's speech today. Mm. Let's talk about something else in the interim, and that is the actual uh, January 6th. So there's Ian Bremmer. He's one of the key globalist pinheads that comes out, gets to roll out on Al Jazeera. Um... Oh, and by the way, during that little snippet there, they put up the falsehood, and this is a falsehood, uh, about January 6th and the number of uh, casualties, deaths on that day. They had, you know, they said five people died that day, uh, which is wrong. (laughs) 
and uh, revolver.news uh, will uh, clarify that for you or illuminate your mind on that. Uh, you can go check that out on your own time if you haven't already. Um, Ashley Babbitt was the sole death on January 6th. Other deaths post-mortem of that, um, they didn't die of anything related to accidents that were coming on. The closest they got where somebody got banged on a little bit injury-wise, and then they died several, I think it was several days later, and it had nothing to do with January 6th, which makes you wonder, what did they die of, and why did they die? Um, so, we've gone through uh, three of those clips, now i got another one. This is from Bandy Lee, who's a batshit crazy too, uh, and, and and this is a psychiatrist. Uh, she wrote a book. Uh, I, I I ran across Bandy Lee probably about a year or so after this in 2019 when she was uh, uh, espousing that you know Trump had killed more people than uh, Stalin and Hitler combined, which is just so. I mean, it's so inflammatory and so factually just inconceivably wrong it's it, 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 anyone with any cognitive skills who is actually paying attention to what's going on and can actually look up death totals across the world and to to assign that to trump would be to assign to him uh, every death that happened in <laughs> in the world in that year solely because they died <laughs> which is just you know preposterous but I'll let her talk for herself. This is only going to be, I'm going to, the interviewer, I'm going to let her talk for about a minute and a half again. That's all you really need to hear out of these people most of the time. Welcome to the France 24 interview. Now, what if you knew a truth about someone that harbored dangers of such magnitude that it could be the key to future human survival? And now, what if that someone happened to be the president of the United States? And what if you were expected to keep your mouth shut about it? Well, that was one of the dilemmas facing Yale psychiatrist Bandy X. Lee, um, who was one of the contributors of essays to a controversial new book called The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump. Now, Lee defied many of her own peers, Lee and her colleagues, arguing that their, quote, duty to warn the world about Trump's mental instability must supersede professional neutrality. And uh, Bandy Lee joins me uh, from New York. You're a forensic psychologist. You're also an expert in, uh, in violence. Uh, thank you so much for taking some time to be with us today. I Thank you for having me. Yeah, Dr. Lee, I, I want to ask you this. The ethical question is the first one. I know you grappled with it a lot. There is something called the Goldwater Rule in the American Psychi Psychiatric Association. I know you talk about this a lot. It basically says it's unethical to share a professional opinion about a public figure unless you have personally examined them. You made a conscious decision to sort of override that rule, to supersede it. Why and what were the compelling reasons? First of all, if I may, I'd like to make clear that I'm speaking on my own behalf and not representing the views of my institutions, that is Yale University, Yale School of Medicine, and Yale Department of Psychiatry. As for the ethical question, in fact, the Goldwater Rule is rather complex. Uh, I'm actually a proponent of the rule, uh, but there are two parts to it. One is not to diagnose a public figure without having personally examined them and gotten consent from them. Uh, and secondly, it is when one is asked about a public figure, uh, psychiatrists are actually encouraged 
to educate the public about relevant psychiatric matters in general terms. Um, and actually, that is exactly what the book is doing. We do not diagnose, and we try to educate the public as to all the possible conditions that could be relevant, uh, all the situations that uh, tie into the dangerousness that we see. When we do speak about Mr. Trump in particular, uh, we are referring to another ethical duty, which is the duty to warn, uh, duty to report or to warn or to protect others or the public in the case of a danger, in the case of an emergency. Could you, yeah, um, Dr. Lee, could you tell us more specifically, I'm curious about this myself, how do you, your, your, your contributors in the book, they found things ranging from narcissism to hedonism, fragile sense of self-esteem, lack of trust in himself. How do you detect and how do you, I, I won't say diagnose, but how do you detect these signs of behavior when you're not diagnosing in person? So um, everyone wants a diagnosis. It would be irresponsible to say if, um, without having all the information. But assessing danger does not require all information. It only requires enough information to raise alarms so that we call for a full evaluation. Um, in terms of all the, uh, all the possible conditions that were outlined in the book, uh, those are—we uh, try to be comprehensive in terms of the important possibilities. Uh, but there, there's also a fair amount we can know uh, about the president. G give us we a few of those, seen... yeah. What, what are a few of the signs that you've, you've seen? Yes. So, uh, while we have not examined him in person, uh, we have seen a lot of behaviors in, uh, in public in, in response to situations in real time, over quite a bit of time. So, actually, uh, these behaviors or responses, uh, uh, incitement um, of the public, uh, effects on the public, these are kinds of things that uh, we actually have a lot more information on him about than— I'll let her go. She could talk all day, but she won't say anything important. But you notice the setup there that, you know, about him and this, you know, oh, my God, he's so horrible and evil and stuff like that. So we're going to move on to, uh, you know, I'm only 19 minutes into this, but we're going to move on to Matthias Desmond and um, his analysis. And I'm going to break this into two parts. First is he's going to give you a overview of this. A phenomenon in about 15 minutes, and then uh, he comes to a conclusionary thing. But I'm also going to include in another uh, little piece that uh, I think is important to realize where we're at. Um, I think it ties in well, and you'll hear some echoes in there uh, of the of the situation we're doing. So uh, here's Matthias. So I, I look forward to you helping me get get things more precise. I was reminded of the Jacobins post French Revolution where they turned on themselves and the guillotine started chopping off uh, members uh, that were not sufficiently pure, et cetera. Um, so uh, that's my summary of my understanding of his teaching. Now, please fix, fix what I got wrong. Uh, I, I agree with pretty much everything you said, Robert. Uh, I would underline a few small differences, such as the fact and add some things, of course, uh, here and there. Uh, for instance, I, 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 I didn't use the term uh, mass formation psychosis. I prefer the term mass formation uh, because, in my opinion, as a 
The psychologist, as a clinical psychologist, you have to be very careful with using diagnostic terms because they can easily uh, have a stigmatizing meaning and they are both in an, in an ethical, in an ethical, from an ethical and also from a pragmatic perspe uh, perspective, can they be a little bit counterproductive, I think. Um, so but, if uh, I can introduce to, to your point, I just had that discussion with Brett Weinstein half an hour ago, and he made exactly the same comment is that the term psychosis is inherently creating a barrier to uh, comprehension and acceptance of the theory by those that might be uh, threatened by the use of that term for exactly what you're saying. So thank you for that uh, reprimand and correction. Yes, but what, what, what is very accurate in your description, I think, or, or what, is, what, is very much, what is very much in line with how I, I have uh, been trying to explain uh, what happened is that it is predominantly an emergent phenomenon, as you call it. Uh, I guess you refer to complex dynamical systems theory. And uh, it is, in, 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 to a large extent, an, an unintentional phenomenon. And as you, as you said, like we have seen mass formations and crowd formations uh, as long as mankind exists. Uh, but the strange thing is that throughout the last two or three centuries, mass formation becomes increasingly strong and it lasts longer. And the masses become larger and larger, more and more people are involved in it. And by the end of the 19th century, um, uh, Gustave Le Bon, one of the major scholars on, on mass formation, uh, warned us already that if it continued like this, if the masses continued to increase uh, their strength and their, their capacity, then that we might soon um, um, witness uh, the emergence of a new state, a new type of state, which was based on the power of the masses. Of the masses. And that's exactly what happened in the first half of the 20th century in, uh, in the Soviet Union and Nazi Germany, which were one of the few ex historical examples of large-scale mass formation. So I agree, like it, it's, a, it's an unintentional emergent phenomenon, uh, which became stronger um, uh, because the number of people who felt socially isolated uh, increased throughout the last three centuries. And this increase in the number of uh, socially isolated people was almost perfectly correlated to the uh, degree of uh, mechanization and industrialization in the country. So the more uh, um, uh, industrialization and the more people use, as you refer to, I think, uh, technological devices, uh, the more they feel socially isolated. This became, that's, that's, that's one of the major reason, reasons why uh, mass formation became increasingly strong uh, throughout the last uh, centuries. And now uh, uh, what we noticed indeed just before the corona crisis was that the number of socially isolated people was extremely high. For instance, the uh, U.S. Surgeon General talked about a, a loneliness epidemic. Uh, and in Great Britain, a, ministry, a, a minister of loneliness was appointed by Theresa May because they acknowledged that uh, loneliness uh, was, was a major uh, threat to the, to, um, to the health of people. And um, uh, under, under these conditions, something very strange happens. Once... Or the or the the, the loneliness is, is actually the, the 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 number of socially isolated, socially atomized people, as Hannah Arendt calls it, is the is the central characteristic. And related to that, uh, there must be a, a lot of these are the four conditions that I that I described already a few times. I will, yes. 
Shall I repeat? Um, can you? Yeah. No, no, no. Can you give a number? I recall from one of your podcasts that that may, number may have been sixty percent in the U.S. Did I get yes. that right? Yes, sixty percent of the people uh, uh, who reported that they had no meaningful relationships at all, which is huge. Which, which is huge. Uh, and as a consequence, and that's a second condition which is important. As a consequence, these people usually also feel a lack of meaning making in life, lack of sense. Because human beings are really social beings, and if the social bond is disrupted, they typically experience their life as meaningless. And that also was was really uh, 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 there were there were a lot of people. For instance, only in a, in a Gallup World poll, only thirteen percent of the people reported that they uh, considered their jobs as really meaningful, and sixty five percent, I think, uh, reported that they uh, experienced their jobs as completely meaningless. Uh, this is a phenomenon that is very well described in a book by David Graeber uh, called Bullshit Jobs. And then the third condition, also, which is also a consequence of the first two conditions, is that there, that there has to be a lot of free-floating anxiety. So anxiety that people cannot connect to a mental representation. And that's extremely important because if we know what we're anxious for, um, uh, um, we will not be as anxious as... Yes, it's, it's an extreme. It, it, the, the, the situation in which someone is confronted with anxiety without knowing what he's anxious for is extremely aversive to a human being. So, and, and the fourth condition is also a logical consequence of the first three conditions. It means that there has to be a lot of free floating frustration and aggression. People have to feel frustrated, aggressive without knowing what they are frustrated and aggressive for. And indeed, under these conditions, the population is sensitive to a very specific phenomenon. If under these conditions, a narrative is distributed through the mass media, indicating an object of anxiety, and at the same time, providing a strategy to deal with the object of anxiety, something extremely strange happens in a society. All this free-floating anxiety attaches, connects to the object of anxiety presented in the narrative, and people are willing to participate in the strategy to deal with the object of anxiety. And... That in itself leads to the most important uh, aspect of mass formation because everybody participates in the same strategy, a new social bond emerges and people feel less isolated, but in a symptomatic way because the new social bond and the new kind of meaning making is always destructive in nature. And that's because of the fourth characteristic. There was a lot of free-floating frustration and aggression and all this free-floating frustration and aggression is now directed at a specific group in the first place, the group who doesn't want to participate in the mass formation. And that's what we've seen time and time again uh, in the, throughout history, that mass formation has this destructive uh, characteristic. And in the end, also this, this destructive characteristic becomes self-destructive. Because once the enemy is destroyed... The mass formation won't stop because people know if the mass formation stops, they will be confronted again with all this free-floating anxiety, with all the frustration and aggression, with the lack of social bond and so on. So what they typically do in most cases, it's not necessarily like that, but in most cases, is they look for a new enemy, a new enemy which can be made the object of anxiety, which can be destroyed and so on. And that's why mass formation always ends up as a monster that divorces its own children. And that's a, a term that I um, 
borrowed from uh, Hannah Arendt, uh, a monster that divorced its own children. And what's so strange about the phenomenon is that because all this free-floating anxiety is connected to this mental representation of the object of anxiety, it seems as if the only part of reality that still exists is the object of anxiety and the strategy to deal with it. That's a, an extremely strange, remarkable aspect. And um, uh, that, that, and that explains why it has the same psychological effects as hypnosis, because in hypnosis, that's exactly what happens. Someone focuses the attention of someone else on one specific point of reality. And once he succeeds in doing this, it is as if the rest of reality does not exist anymore to the extent that in hospitals, this happens from time to time that people who are allergic to uh, chemical um, um, sedativa uh, or hypnotized to make them insensitive to, to pain. And it's really a simple hypnotic pro uh, procedure that is sufficient to focus the attention of someone so much on one aspect of reality that he won't feel that the surgeon starts to cut through the bone, through the, the skin, the, the flesh, eventually the, sometimes the bones. This, the focusing of attention is a really a, an extremely strong psychological uh, mechanism, which explains also that during mass formation, the leaders, the totalitarian leaders, can take everything away of people without them noticing it. That's one of the most remarkable aspects of the phenomen phenomenon of mass formation. Um, and also, to I will add one more thing. Um, another characteristic of the phenomenon of mass formation is that the narrative that leads to the mass formation typically becomes more and more absurd. And the strange thing is that people don't seem to notice this. But actually, you can perfectly understand that once you understand that the reason why people buy into the narrative is not in the first place because the narrative is correct or scientific or, or, or accurate. The reason why people buy into the narrative is because it creates this new social bond. And that's why typically during mass formation, the people who don't want to conform to the masses, who, 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 who don't go along with the narrative, are typically approached that they lack citizenship and solidarity. So that shows what it is all about, the creation of a new social bond. People want to get rid of the feeling of social isolation, atomization, the free-floating anxiety. That's why they buy into the story, even if it becomes utterly absurd. And that, and you could even go one step further, the more absurd the narrative is and the more absurd the measures are, for instance, in the current situation, the more successful they will be for a certain part of the population, the part of the, of the population that is really into the mass formation because the measures have the function of a ritual. They have the function of a ritual through which an individual shows by participating in the, in, the, in the ritual, the individual shows that it is less important than the collective. And that's what ritualistic behavior has always been. A ritual is a kind of behavior which is without pragmatic meaning or sense, but which, it, which is a symbolic kind of behavior through which an individual shows that it belongs to a collective and that it wants to sacrifice something of itself, which is important, in favor of the collective. So that's why we make this strange observation that no matter how absurd the measures are, 
they continue to receive a substantial support in a certain part, major part of the population, which is usually about 30%. Um, uh, yeah. um, <clears throat> first of all, in my manners, Dr. McCullough joined us, so I'll give it to him in a second. So Dr. McCullough, Dr. Desmet, Dr. Desmet, Dr. McCullough. Mm -hmm. Real quick, I was just I was just thinking because you know you're men, you've you've mentioned twenties and thirties Germany. We've mentioned uh, the communist monster, right? You unleash the forest fire, and then you go, why is it only? Why is it not just attacking the trees I want gone? Then we talk about you know McCarthyism, but I was just thinking as you were saying that, it seems like you could almost turn the clock back twenty years. You could go the twin towers come down. We'd go to Afghanistan. Wait, why are we going to Iraq? Free-floating anxiety. It's orange level. It's green level. It's, you know, there's anthrax. You got to go to the airport, TSA. Hey, NSA is going to start, you know, watching all your texts for the greater good. We're going to Iraq. Why are we going to Iraq? Shut up, communists. Don't you love America? And we bulldoze our way through there. And we have Guantanamo Bay and Abu Ghraib. And we're doing all of this. And it's not until about 20 years later, we finally withdraw and we go, wait, what were we doing? But by the time we've withdrawn, we're already ready for the next one. But Dr. McCullough, I don't want to. So, yeah, that was that. That's the interviewer, uh, the uh, podcaster. He's actually a medical student or I think even further along than that. Uh, but I won't get into that. So you heard that analysis from uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Matthias Des Desmond. I want to make sure I got his uh, name right. So. There's a lot to unpack there. So free-floating anxiety, uh, obviously free-floating of frustration. Um, and we saw over the last, well, actually from the, I guess you could say literally the last decade, um, this was being ginned up. Um, ever since, uh, I would even, I mean, and he mentioned actually the the podcaster here, uh, Tommy, I think, yeah, Tommy's podcast. He mentioned 9-11. And that was a key uh, demarcation time, demarcation line in regards to American American and world history. Uh, if you think about it, uh, and, and, and every there's all kinds of major events that demarcate certain twists and turns along the way, um, especially when you talk about uh, uh, the higher ups that are controlling a lot of this. And causing this anxiety, this emotional frustration, uh, this decoupling from family. One of the bigger things about this is the uh, demoralization uh, path and trek to a crisis in the normalization, which I shouldn't give it give away one of the, the key aspects of this. So, uh, But we'll get into that in a second. I'm going to play uh, a, a little... Uh, actually, quite a bit of this. Uh, this is from Yuri Besmanov. This was done in 1984. Many of you probably have already listened to this, or if you haven't, then this is your first time. Uh, kind of intertwines with uh, this is uh, more about uh, the planning process of people who are trying to do this thing to you, this mass formation, uh, this collapsitarian, uh, this uh, revolution. Uh, it, it's not really, uh, those are specific objectives but if you're going to cause that you have to get enough of the population and he broke it up into kind of like three segments so you have about 30 percent of the population that has this this uh, honed in focus this uh, need to be led 
because they're anxious, they're frustrated, you know, they have that, um, and he went into the statistical analysis of that, you know, about, you know, 15% of people find their jobs appealing, you know, a substantial portion of the population finds their uh, jobs meaningless or worthless, doesn't provide any stimulation for them. And of course, the believe me, all this data has been picked over and collected and there are people in extreme power positions who are financially capable uh, that have utilized this information uh, for their quote-unquote utopia that they're trying to introduce, the metaverse and the, the host of other uh, intellectual pursuits that they tell people, if you just come along with me, it's basically they pull up in their little uh, well, they pull up, pull up in their shiny Tesla uh, with the the mirror with the the shadowed uh, windows, tinted glass. They pull up in their shiny Tesla. They roll down their windows, and and uh, uh, your typical uh, frustrated and, and uh, angry per- or frustrated and an- anxious person is offered to look inside, and they show them the metaverse, and they say, well. Hey, if you just put these goggles on, everything will clear up. The whole world will seem so much better. Uh, oh, and uh, I have a little package here of fentanyl. And I also have, you know, a host of other goodies. Look in the back, and they'll look in the back, and they'll see their see the, the girl or guy of their dreams. And it's, 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 a, it's been put out there that's what the media does that it puts that let that carrot or stick out there and and tells you you can have what those people have you can be like them and meanwhile though they also pump the other narrative out well the reason why you can't get there is because the world is racist it's unfair it needs to be redistributed you notice ian bremer brought around distribution and build back better and Oh, if we put another trillion dollars in the infrastructure. I seem to remember in 2009 we were putting a trillion dollars in the infrastructure and it didn't go anywhere. It went to a lot of failed projects. But the media then didn't care because they had the president they wanted in in power. And nobody cared about the fact that he kept the wars going on. The reason why we got <laughs> the reason why Afghanistan war went on even through Trump's administration, guess what? Obama had the opportunity to, to kill that war a long time ago, prior to even Trump being in office. He had up until January 19th or January 20th before noon of 2017 to to uh, de-escalate and get us out of Afghanistan. Why didn't that happen? Ask yourself that question. Um, there's many questions. So if Trump was so evil, why didn't he start all these new wars? They were frustrated with Trump. Trump tried to get out of the Middle East. They didn't like that. And he like him not. Uh, I mean, granted, he didn't stop. He didn't stop much, and he didn't uh, uh, quote unquote cease all military operations, which is what some people want out here in, in society. But if he'd have done that, they'd say, "Well, he's destabilizing the entire world. He's evil. He's trying to kill people." No matter what direction he took anybody, they would have they label him. So. It, <laughs> it, the, and we'll get to that going that further. So actually, I'm going to queue up to, uh, uh, I'll put Besman off on him, and we'll go through that, and then we'll go back to the solutions portion of this. 
Well, you spoke several times before about ideological subversion. That is a phrase that uh, I'm afraid some Americans don't fully understand. When uh, the Soviets use the phrase ideological subversion, what do they mean by it? Ideological subversion is, is the process which is legitimate, overt, and open. You, you can see it with your own eyes. All, all you have to do, all American mass media has to do is to unplug their bananas from their ears, open up their eyes, and they can see it. There is no mystery. There is nothing to do with espionage. I know that espionage intelligence gathering looks more romantic. It sells more deodorants through the advertising, probably. That's why your Hollywood producers are so crazy about James Bond type of, of, of thrillers. But in reality, the main emphasis of the KGB is not in the area of it intelligence at all. According to my uh, opinion and opinion of many defectors of my caliber, only about 15% of time, money, and manpower is spent on espionage as such. The other 85% is a slow process which we call either ideological subversion or active measures, activne meropriatia in the language of, of the KGB, or psychological warfare. What it basically means is to change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions in the interests of defending themselves, their families, their community, and their country. It's a great brainwashing uh, process which goes very slow and it's divided in, in four basic stages. Uh, the first one being demoralization. It takes from 15 to 20 years to demoralize a nation. Why that many years? Because this is the minimum number of years which requires to uh, educate one generation of students in the country of, of, of your enemy exposed to the ideology of the enemy. In other words, Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students without being challenged or counterbalanced by the basic values of Americanism, American patriotism. The result? The result you can see. Most of the people who graduated in the 60s, dropouts or half-baked intellectuals, are now occupying the positions of power in the government, civil service, business, mass media, educational system. You are stuck with them. You cannot get rid of them. They are contaminated. They are programmed to think and react to certain stimuli in a certain pattern. You cannot change their mind. Even if you, if you expose them to authentic information, even if you prove that white is white and black is, uh, is black, you still cannot change the basic perception and the logic of behavior. In other words, these people, uh, uh, the process of demoralization is complete and irreversible. To get rid society of these people, you, have, you need another 20 or, or, or 15 years to educate a new generation of patriotically minded and, and, and uh, common, common sense people who would be acting in favor and in the interests of, of, the, uh, of the United States society. And yet these people who have been programmed and, as you say, in place and yes. who are favorable to an opening with the Soviet concept, mm -hmm. these are the very people who would be marked for extermination in this country? Most of them, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, simply because the psychological shock, when, when they will see in future what the, what the beautiful society of equality and social justice means in practice, 
obviously they will revolt. They, 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 will, uh, they, they will be very unhappy, frustrated people. And the Marxist-Leninist regime does not tolerate these people. Uh, they, obviously, they will join the links of dissenters, mm -hmm. dissidents. Yes. Uh, unlike in present United States, there will be no place for dissent in, in future Marxist-Leninist America. Uh, here you can, you can get uh, popular like uh, Daniel Ellsberg and filthy rich like Jane Fonda for being dissident, for criticizing your Pentagon. In future, these people will be simply squashed like cockroaches. Nobody is going to pay them nothing for their beautiful, noble ideas of equality. This they don't understand, and uh, it will be the greatest shock for them, of course. The demoralization process in the United States is basically completed already. Uh, for the last 25 years, actually, it's overfulfilled because uh, demoralization now reaches such areas where previously not even Comrade Andropov and, and all his experts would, would even dream of such a tremendous success. Most of it is done by Americans to Americans, thanks to lack of moral standards. As I mentioned before, uh, exposure to true information does not matter anymore. A person who was demoralized is unable to assess true information. The facts tell nothing to him. Uh, even if I shower him with information, with, with authentic proof, with documents, with pictures, even if I take him by force to the Soviet Union and show him concentration camp, he will refuse to believe it until he, he is going to receive a kick in, the, in his fat bottom. When a military boot crashes his then he will understand, but not before that. That's the tragic of the situation of demoralization. So basically America is stuck. With, with demoralization and unless even if, if you start right now here this minute you start educating new generation of Americans it will still take you 15 to 20 years to turn the tide of, uh, of ideological perception of reality uh, back to normal n normalcy and, and uh, patriotism the next stage is destabilization this time subverter does not care about your ideas and the patterns of your consumption whether you eat junk food and get fat and flabby, it doesn't matter anymore. This time, and it takes only from two to five years to destabilize a nation, uh, it's, what, what matters is essentials, economy, foreign relations, defense systems. Uh, and you can see it quite clearly that in some areas, uh, in such sensitive areas as, as uh, defense and economy, uh, the uh, influence of Marxist-Leninist ideas in the United States is absolutely fantastic. I, I could never believe it 14 years ago when I landed uh, in this part of the world that the process will go that fast. Uh, the next stage, of course, is crisis. It, it, it may take only up to six weeks to, to bring a country to the verge of crisis. You can see it in, in Central America now. And after crisis, with a violent change of, of power, structure, and economy, you have so-called the period of normalization. It may last indefinitely. Normalization is a cynical expression borrowed from Soviet propaganda. When the Soviet tanks moved into Czechoslovakia in 68, Comrade Brezhnev said, now the situation in brotherly Czechoslovakia is normalized. This is what will happen in the United States if you allow all these schmucks to bring the country to crisis, to promise people all kinds of goodies and the paradise on earth. Uh, to, to destabilize your uh, economy, 
to eliminate the principle of free market competition and to put a big brother government in Washington, D.C. with the benevolent dictators like Walter Mondale who will promise lots of things, never mind whether the promises are fulfillable or not. He will go to Moscow to kiss the bottoms of, of new generation of Soviet assassins, never mind. He will create false illusions that the uh, situation is under control. Situation is not under control. Situation is disgustingly out of control. Most of the American politicians, media and educational system trains another generation of people who think they are living at a peacetime. False. United States is in a state of war, undeclared total war against the basic principles and the foundations of, of this system. And, and the initiator of this war is not Comrade Andropov, of course. Uh, it's, it's the system. However ridiculous it may sound, the world communist system or the world communist conspiracy, whether I scare some people or not, I don't give a hoot. Uh, if, if you are not scared by now, nothing can scare you. But you don't have to be paranoid about it. What, what actually happens now, that unlike myself, you have... So, um, yeah, just to bring it back to uh, Desmond, but... Um We'll go over that real quickly. Just, I think, uh, you know, everything echoes throughout history. Other, but everybody is touching this huge elephant, and everybody says, you know, there's huge communist organ. Yeah, that it is. There is this huge communist system. See, you have people at the very top. We we we've identified the actors in China, which is actually in cohort with uh, the World Economic Forum, who handles or. Uh, tries to operate as a, uh, a consolidator of all these business uh, entities and ideas and people, you know, the Black Rocks, the State Streets, the vanguards who are run by Larry Finks of the world, who also have their hands in every cookie jar, and there's like 1,500 or 2,000 uh, world corporations, international, multinational corporations who are, um, they exploit labor. And everybody will say, well, yeah, you know, that's, you know, that's what we're supposed to work. They're crony, they're cronyism. They've been buying off politicians and they are in turn uh, um, attacked and bought off. You can tell by their policies. You can tell by their circumstances. You can tell by where they uh, uh, put their uh, uh, ideas down. Here's a funny thing. So y you've heard of this like great, like, this group that we're supposed to save the world, the Warren Buffetts, the Bill Gateses, Oprah was on the list. This was a, a little uh, advert I saw probably 15 years ago or something. They turned them into like the superstar billionaires that are supposed to. Ted Turner was part of it too. Ted Turner, who's married to Jane Fonda, who uh, Yuri Besmanov was talking about, the little communist that she is. Boris Johnson's married to a little communist hussy. So. Uh, yeah, it never it never fails. There's always there's always ways to ferret this out. You can tell by who people hang with, who marry, who they marry, who they where they go to education. You know, whether it be Harvard or Yale. I'm not saying everybody from those two areas are are full of it, but uh, yeah, the elitist schools with the elitist communist ideas. There, you have to you quote unquote have to pass their uh, sniff test. Uh, like Georgetown is 
uh, wrecking bar, uh, considered a haven for CIA recruitment and operations. Every every school has a nuance or a thing about them that makes them attractive, and they create these ideas. So he was talking about education, media. We know the media subverted. I mean, I I just played a few clips from, uh, you know, got the Carl Burleson, you know. The way they talk about the way they talked about <laughs> Trump, okay, he didn't he didn't cause an insurrection, but I can't I'm not going to be able to argue that with the people that we're dealing with, um, and so that's where uh, you know it doesn't matter what kind of truth you pre- present to them as Yuri was talking to them, they are they they are invested fully vested fully subverted, and. Uh, and now we're talking, we've gone to the next stage or the next level with this, this mass formation. So I'm going to play something from, I'll play the uh, the clip that I think is necessary for this uh, before we finalize this uh, broadcast. But uh, this is very important. This is probably worth peaking, listening to for the last, uh, or for 10 minutes. If you got 10 minutes of your life, it's well worth it. Uh, because you need to really, we're going to have to really pick this apart and I might stop it, stop it as I go and then continue it. So we'll go from here. That's close enough. Global totalitarianism at our risk. Um, and then I'd, if he has time, I'd like to learn about the specific nuance of how this relates to children. Um, but, uh, then I, I want to shut up now and, and let Peter and, and, and just have the floor over. Dr. Desmond. Yes, well, once you understand the nature of uh, the process of mass formation, you also understand what you can do about it. But that doesn't mean that it is, that it is easy to do something about it. So the process of mass formation is a, you know, it's a kind of hypnosis. And uh, most scholars agree that it is very hard uh, to wake people up from, from, from such a, a state of, 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 of mass formation. But, but, so, mass formation is a phenomenon that is provoked by a voice. It's, it's a voice of a leader, the voice, a voice that is distributed time and time again through the mass media uh, that keeps people in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a process of mass formation. And the leader himself is also grasped in this process of mass formation. This is so typical for this process that uh, both the hypnotist and the hypnotized are into the process. Um, um, name, the, and, name the leader. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in. Name the leader. Name the leader? Yeah. The, in, that case, in this case, the leaders are the, are the experts. Right? It's, it's clear that, that, that the authority and the, uh, uh, is situated now in, 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 in the experts and the technocrats, you could say. Uh, so that these people are pronouncing time and time again the narrative in the mass media, and they believe in the underlying ideology, usually, but very often they don't believe in the exact narrative that they that they distribute. Uh, usually, they are so fanatically uh, convinced that uh, their ideology is what will save the world that they feel that it is justified to manipulate a little bit, to lie a little bit, uh, just to 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 this convince is- people. So this is Plato's noble lie. Can you come again? You just described. This is Plato's yeah. noble lie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, so but it is the voice of the leader that keeps the people in the, into the hypnosis. And once you understand that, you understand that if you want to make the the, the the mass formation less deep, then it is quintessential 
that there are people who continue to speak out and continue who voice a dissonant voice in society because this will disrupt the process of mass formation. That is the most basic and the most important uh, thing we can do. In the first place, we have to continue to speak out. In the second place, we have to connect in the real world, in small circles that overlap a little bit, forming networks with people vaccinated and unvaccinated. It's not important, but just try to connect in the real world with people who have the feeling that something is wrong. So, and then uh, in the next step, so it's very important if we try to convince people, if we try to, uh, to, to, uh, uh, to, to, bring a different narrative, it's extremely important that we do not try to convince people to go back to the old normal. Because the old normal what was what people tried to escape through the process of mass formation. It was exactly because the old normal was unbearable that people were sensitive to the process of mass formation. Thus, what we should try to construct together is a new normal, but, but which is not a technocratic or a transhumanist new normal. We should show people that there are other options. There are other options to escape the old normal uh, than uh, a technocratic transhumanist uh, 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 new normal. So I think these three things are extremely important. We have to... So I want to stop right there, but he, he will go on. So as he mentioned, normal. Here's the... And this is where this broadcast is coming to. Or, or and they might go back to this again, but the idea of normal, what is that for for these people? And they don't want to go back to normal because they hate their lives. Um, you have to, and that's why they're so eager to reach out towards whatever whatever is being sold to them on TV when they watch a uh, a fantasy movie. Uh, they know it's you would think they would know it's a fiction. But they don't. They don't see it as that. They see Star Trek as real, uh, where there's no money, everybody's happy. Uh, they have battles every week, but it's no big deal. It's really. It's it. it it's beyond. Uh, and I'm using that as an example because I like Star Trek. Uh, but you know, and that they can go to warp speed and they can escape. That's escapism in a in a nutshell. Um, they want to escape, so that's why the metaverse, uh, these VR programs, and then we noticed about the transgenderism that's been pushed up uh, in the last five to seven years, in particular. The idea that you can, you know, we should give trans rights, and of course, they, they those people feel special about themselves now, and and it's being indoctrinated in kids now by the communists, by the subverted teachers who won't even go back to school. They won't go back to teaching, and they're using the fear of COVID. Many of these, and 80% of them are women in particular, are, uh, they're neurotic, highly neurotic. They're hypochondriacs. Uh, they're older. Uh, they're self-medicating. Um, there's a host of psychotropic and psychological issues that to unpack there many of them don't have kids the ones that do are unhappy because they're generally divorced uh i'm not saying there aren't any happy successful teachers not at all i mean i would say there's probably you know they could be 15 20 percent that are very very happy and content but this whole this whole situation the the covet crisis is 
you know, they're they're fed media propaganda. They believe all that. They believe that uh, I, I've done and discussed this analysis before with the Gallup polling that certain political parties believe the media up to 70 percent. They, they trust the media, which is what he mentioned with the mass media. Why do you think the messaging of uh, of uh, the World Economic Forum is so important? They're trying to produce, you know, they have these people that are producing these uh, little uh, pot, these casts, these uh, uh, unique futures. And, uh, of course, Elon Musk now is worth, or at least on paper, he's worth over a trillion dollars, or at least his company is. Elon Musk, you know, and there's people that knock down that narrative about him. They have a very, they may have very good points. Uh, we've always had these uh, people who are promoted up as, uh, you know, superstars or, you know, this is what we should strive for. Uh, and, you know, he, he seems based, he smokes weed and all this other kind of stuff. Uh, very interesting. I'm not saying he's not intelligent. Not saying he isn't. He's calculating. I'm not saying he hasn't pushed back, but he does that. He does that uh, strategically uh, to get people to follow and him being led. And he may very well think that that's a good idea. Uh, and he's very much a part of this little group or, or clique. I mean, he may say some of the right things at the right time, but we don't know what his conversations are in private with some of these people. Uh, you know, he may say, "Hey." How'd you like that performance today? Anybody can perform and act for you. You just have to pay attention to their actions more than what they say. Uh, anybody can, you know, be a monkey and jump through these hoops. So what he's talking about. So he had this idea of normal. And I want to get into that. So remember the messaging that we got from uh, March and April of 2020? This is a, uh, uh, we can't go back. This is the new normal from Bill Gates and Fauci. Fauci's a technocrat. That's one of the biggest, he mentioned technocrats. And we have a lot of people that are highly educated uh, that believe in this shit. I mean, literally, they think that they, they think they walk on water. <laughs> I know these people. I've met these people. I've worked with these people. I'm not saying that they're all stupid. No, I'm not saying that at all. In In their narrow field of expertise, they... They can knock the shit out of it. Uh, uh, that being said, a lot of them are not very good strategists. They're not, you know, some of them think they understand politics or understand dichotomies. They seem to know left and right, but they don't know up and down. And when I mean up and down, uh, they don't un seem to understand what the the upper class is versus uh, the dregs or what they call the dregs of society. They certainly don't understand that. I can tell you that for a fact. I mean, they're they're absolutely uh, abominably stupid when it comes to people who live in uh, poverty, uh, who have been to jail, uh, that have had their dreams crushed out of their life. Uh, they have no concept of that. None. They are stupid to that. Matter of fact, if you took a billionaire, took him down to a county jail and threw him in there for a month, and I'm talking the shithole, not just the nice little cushy jail or being monitored and being uh, catered to by the, the cops because you're a valuable property if you're worth a lot because they know you've got a lawyer and you can shoot, sue the shit out of them. So they make sure you don't die unless you're Epstein. 
then they turn off the cameras and let the let the bad guys go to work, which is what happened. Uh, I don't think there's there's something that could unite. Uh, but you know, anyway, I want to say unite. I think everybody can be fairly certain. About ninety percent of people in the world know that Epstein didn't kill himself. <laughs> just just saying that. But then they each have their each have their hypothesis as to who and or what reason, you know, and what characters did it and who were involved in it. And they that's where we'll go with the next part of this discussion. But um, <laughs> anyway, let's uh, continue to listen to uh, Matthias. Continue to speak out. That's the most important thing. Then we have to try to connect and we have to construct a, a, a narrative altogether, a new normal, showing people that there are other options to escape the old normal. As soon as we understand that, I think we can start to become successful. Because what I often hear now is that the people who refuse to go along with the mainstream narrative, that they actually always try to convince the people to go back to the old normal. And that's that, that, that's from a psychological point of view, that's absurd. And then the last important thing I, I, I believe is that um, if we try to resist, if we try to defy what's happening now, then we should stick to the principles of non-violent resistance because that's by far the most efficient uh, strategy. Because once you start to think about, once you become aggressive, even only in the way you speak, then you will justify for the masses yeah. to 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 channel and to 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 direct all this frustration and aggression at the dissonant voice because that's one of the major characteristics of mass formation is that people become radically intolerant for dissonant voices and of course that's because the dissonant voices threaten to wake up the masses and in that case the masses are confronted again with the with the free floating anxiety and so on uh, so people are usually radically uh, intolerant for dissonant voices and every sign of aggression from the group who uh, uh, who does not go along with the masses justifies uh, uh, the, 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 that the masses commit atrocities. Sometimes they are always inclined to. So that's the my four. If I should, if I have to put it in a very concise way, continue to speak out, try to connect, think about the new normal, which is different from uh, the new normal that led to the mass formation, and. Always stick to the to the principles of nonviolent resistance, but do it in a in a in a in a, in a convinced way. We we should not hesitate. Um, yeah. Yes. It, yeah. Sorry there. So did you get all that? <laughs> you can't bring these people back to what they consider uh, the old normal or the. Let's just say we'll just we'll go we'll we'll say you can't bring them back to Trump, and I only use him is because you, the media the media home has honed in on him for comments in Charlottesville. Whether or not they were true doesn't matter. Not to these people, they don't care. They're not gonna. You can't convince them as uh, Yuri Besmanov says. You can't convince them otherwise uh, of what the truth is. You can't convince them that he used to hang out with uh, Jesse Jackson back in 1999 and 2000. You can't convince them that he used to be a de Democrat before he became a Republican. You can't convince them that basically he's a businessman and he's a business Democrat and he doesn't really give a shit about whether he's a Republican. The Republicans are even more pissed off at him than, than the Democrats are. That is a truth, I think. 
And I, and oh, by the way, I didn't vote for him in 2016. I voted for him in 2020. Uh, my my, and I say that because there there may be some people who are of a left of center or even a leftist. Uh, just so you know, you know, I came to my awakening. Not and, and and I didn't vote for anybody in 2016 because it didn't just I was apathetic. I was literally apathetic about the whole process. Uh, I just didn't see. I didn't see. Uh, <laughs> the thing is, is I actually kind of liked Trump, but I didn't really. When I say I liked him, I liked him as a. I, I'd seen him on a Apprentice. I'd followed him on that. Uh, I didn't like Hillary Clinton because everything that comes out of her mouth is a lie. She doesn't care about you. She cares about power. And I know who she's supported by. She's supported by the Soros's and the Gateses of the world. And she's all all in and she's done numerous atrocities in terms of selling out our country. But she's a neo-lib. And you have the neocons. And the neocons and neo-libs are working together to try to keep him out. Um, that is an actuality. You know, the reason there's a reason why Liz Cheney stuck her little head up out of out of nowhere right after January sixth, or right th- actually she did it before January sixth. She got together all her her uh, father's buddies, and they wrote a little article for the Washington Post. She was behind that. These people are power hungry fools, and they are fools. They may not think they're fools. They're calculating. They're cold. They're calculating. They're malevolent. They do not like you. They do not care about you. And they know that they have millions of sheep that will pay attention to them because they are they are something to be aspired to. And they say the they say the noble lie on TV like Fauci did over and over and over again. Uh, he lied all the time. <laughs> But they don't hear. They don't hear that. They don't see that. So it's not just the the politicians. It's the technocrats that they've hired in D.C. I mean, people said, "How can you be so against the FDA?" Because you start looking at how much they hijacked it, and then you start getting into the nuances of who they who who's uh, running the FDA and who sits on what boards. And oh, by the way, they. They happen to uh, populate the New England Journal of Medicine, and their names are Dr. Lindsay R. Biden. I'm pointing out that particular example because that person is connected to Fauci. He's connected to a lot of little details that people don't. I'll bring him up over and over again. I am a dissident voice. I do not. I don't care. Trump made all kinds of stupid fucking mistakes too, uh, and he's a he. he He's done. He's done himself a total disservice with this vaccine, and because of that fact, uh, mainly, uh, I think he's incapable of leading this country again. And I don't think you should bring him up. I don't think you should bring him up. I don't think he should be the the candidate. I don't say that because I have any pull or emphasis. It's just, it's this is just reality. If you bring him back, you will cause more havoc and chaos in this country um, than we obviously need. These people are are beyond gone. I've heard people say it. We've had conversations. I've had conversations with people from various parts of this country uh, through a, a, a nice service that has led me to that uh, conclusion. They say these people are gone, and they are. That's where the mass formation is. These people are gone. 
They they can't be brought. You can't bring them back uh, through uh, if you try to uh, try to talk to them and mention him because he's such a lightning rod of, and he's been made a lot lightning rod. If they if the media had given him anywhere near a fair shake, what which, which was not going to happen because the media is controlled hard left. They've been going left for forty years. I mean, when I say going left. They became hard left around 2010. You notice how Obama got a sweetheart period throughout the entire time he was in office. A lot of people don't understand that. Of course, a lot of people that are involved in this uh, are are, uh, are oblivious to that fact, or certainly because they didn't see it. They didn't see it on Google. They didn't see it at CNN. They didn't see it at any of the major outlets that they were looking at. They didn't care about Benghazi. They just see that as... Oops, too bad, four people dead. They didn't care about that. They didn't care about the events leading up to that. They took, you know, Hillary at her word. They didn't care about what came out of her mouth. Uh, because they, I mean, like Lily, you know, what came out of her mouth didn't keep her from running for president. It kind of shows how much they can control the narrative and how little people will actually dig into the details. Same way with Osama bin Laden. Well, after you uh, got rid of him and executed him, and we've seen the picture where they're sitting around the table and supposedly watching this real time, what happened? Did they get out of Afghanistan? Did Joe Biden help them get out of Afghanistan? No, of course not. And Joe Biden is a weak leader, and they can know that they can push him around, and we know how his connections to China exist. We know how his connections to Ukraine exist. Does anybody really want to dig into the rigmarole of that? No, of course not. Um, so, um, but that's the problem with Trump. He's not capable. He is not going to win this. At least not. He's When I say he's not going to win this, he's not going to be able to win um, against these people. They have got too many, they have too much firepower. And when I say firepower, literally, uh, the 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 transhumanist, the World Economic Forum, they have a thousand minions, ten thousand minions. You know, look at the look at the political landscape, look at the authoritarianism. By the way, the real authoritarianism of uh, uh, France, Macron. You know, running out the, you know, the unvaccinated or non the unvaccinated or non citizen. And they've been using COVID expertly to do this entire situation. They were willing to they they set up the the false premise of a dictator so that when they became the dictator and they said, Well, we have to be scared about a virus. But they put the virus front and center. That's why they, you know, propagandized it so hard and they covered up and, they, and then they had to censor people and they censored off the doctors and and they put their licenses in jeopardy, and they told them to shut the hell up. Uh, either shut the hell up, or we'll, we'll, we'll make you irrelevant. So people were threatened. Many of the, and, and, and that's why they hate Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan's a middle-of-the-road person. I'm not. I'm a conservative, but I'm not a Republican. I've never registered as a Republican. I've never registered as a Democrat either. I voted for, uh, in, in order, from the time I could vote. So I voted for Ross Perot. I didn't vote in 96. <laughs> I didn't vote in 2000. I voted for John Kerry. God, I wish I had never done that. 
and and then I voted for Barack Obama in 2008, and then I didn't vote, and then I voted uh, didn't vote in 2016, and then I voted in 2020 for Trump. So you can see I have a spotty track record of voting for people, uh, and I say spot. I, I'm just rolling that out because that's truth. Uh, <laughs> and a lot of people will look at me and say, "Well, you know." <laughs> And and I always hated the Bushes. <laughs> I hated them from the time I was, you know, could be aware of what they were and what they weren't. And I was a Democrat, uh, ostensibly, but I was a conservative Democrat. See, I believe in uh, smaller government. The problem is with the situation. I don't know who 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 in the world in the United States or who's the leader in the United States who can who can bring the divide together and who's. Uh, got the gravitas, the skill, the messaging, and uh, to to uh, be of you. And I'm only making it up from a political standpoint because we are in a crisis mode. And when I say crisis mode, that's the Yuri thing. We are in a crisis mode. The Federal Reserve is bringing us to crisis. Uh, the the international waters. When I say international waters, the international uh, situations like in Kazakhstan that's popping off now. Um, and and how that's going to interplay, and how much of that was obviously planned, planned out. I mean, you know, the more instability there is in the world, the more chaos. I mean, that's literally going on. And then you have Joe Biden and Kamala Harris today come out, and of course, to their to the very few support. I don't think they have as many supporters as the media is their is their cheerleading squad, but. They don't have that many supporters, and they don't. They know it, but uh, they wanted to go back to that narrative. They're, they've tried to uh, memorialize January 6th as some attack on democracy or the republic. They use that word democracy to mean democracy of the mob, uh, the, the mob which they want to harness and manipulate. They want to pull the, they want to hang on to their little niche, their their base of democrat voters who are all for socialism they know that from polling uh i've done my analysis axios has done their analysis you know when i say they 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 know that they it appeals to younger people it always appeals to younger people it appeals to every younger person because the younger person doesn't have that much so they want somebody to give them something and they start resenting older people who have stuff and they resent older people who are getting ready to retire because they say, wow, it must be nice. They don't think, they they can't think beyond envy or jealousy. They don't realize that a person who is retiring, say, they say, well, they got it through ill-gotten gains or something. They never ever see if that person worked for the, th- they don't know where they, they don't ask them the questions that they need to ask. You should start working at, you know, 15 or 16. And if you work to 65, well, isn't that 50 years? But of course, our our globalist uh, uh, globalist uh, agenda people um, they look at it as well. They don't want people to live very long. Um, they they've got their little talking point. They got their their shills out there. I forget what's his name. Um, uh, what's his? Yeah, he he worked uh, he worked with uh, Obama's administration, and now he's back in office. But he wants us to have like a 75-year lifespan. He says after 75 years, you know, you're not really important. Uh, your health system. There's a lot of resentment. And, and the reason why is because you're you're a strain on the system because they have to pay you money. 
that you paid in and they they've mismanaged for god knows how long um that's the truth they 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 they're mismanaging our money and they're going to make all our retirements irrelevant so i know there's a lot of people out there that are worried about their retirement well guess what if you're expecting it through any kind of social security or you're even your 401k i i mean i'm not trying to hit a panic switch but well social security is bankrupt or will be i mean they already talked about they're going to go broke by 2030 or 2033 or something. That isn't that far off. It's going to be quicker than that because of all the dynamics that have changed and in the markets and everything else. Who knows what that calculation is now? I'm sure someone's got a, a model that they've put together and can figure all that shit out. That's all well and good. On the other side of that, uh, your 401k. Well, your 401k is tied to how these uh, how the stock market is uh, how you're invested in it, which pretty much, if you're invested in any ETF or uh, Standard Board 500 kind of deal going on, I mean, yeah, you right now you're like, yeah, yeah, I got a lot of money. What are you talking about? Are you stupid? You don't see the market? It's like, yeah, yeah. If you think that market is anything being anything close to reality, um, yeah, exactly. The mass formation. You're you're not you're not paying attention to what's really driving the market, and the Federal Reserve, of course, if they take away the punch bowl, which they should have done ten years ago, or at the very minimum eight years ago, uh, and they didn't, and they kept the interest rates really low, and they played this game, and they actually destabilized. And the people behind the scenes, who knows what their final objective is, but the one that one of their final objectives is to destroy the United States. And get us at each other's throats. Um, and people say, well, they don't want, they're going to take away all your guns. They want to have a totalitarian dictatorship in, in Washington, D.C., um, or certainly a, a, a weak one at that. They want something that's fungible. They want something that they control, the the, uh, the international consortium that runs like the U.N., and whether it be China or the royals or God knows who else, the bankers. It's always there's bankers involved with this shit. Uh, they want to make sure the U.S. is poor and uh, debt-laden. They want to erase the consciousness of the people. That's why they're so hell-bent on bringing in extra people. That's why Ian Brenner's talking about, oh, you're going to be a minority in your own country by 2045. It's like, well, you know, boy, you really think, I mean, that, that's the messaging. And he knows, he knows, he talks to these people. That's what they're looking for. They they rub their hands together every time they say stuff like that with glee. It's almost like, yes, the United States is going to be, de- by 2045, notice 2045 seems to be a real big number name for them. Uh, transhumanism, uh, they, wanna, they want our society, you know, totally erased. Um, because 1945, 100 years. And China became a uh, country, again, I guess a communist, uh, 1949. And by 2049, they'll be celebrating their, uh, their, uh, their agenda too. Uh, when I say, when they, that was the separation, but that's when Mao came to power. Uh, and they had their, they have their 100 year plan and they've been pushing for it. And of course, the corporations don't give a shit where they get their money from. And they don't, they like the China model, the mercantile exploitation. You know, in China, it, for all the for the liberals out there, it's like, yeah, they got, what, 75 million people might have it halfway decent. And they got 1.3, 1.4 billion that they take advantage of. I mean, how you, how you like that? 
uh, uh, exploitation model. It sounds really shitty, doesn't it? And that's only one country. That's only China. And they're supposed to be, you know, they're trying to, you know, the UN and everybody's propping them up. They prop up their financial markets uh, because they're chaos and they're 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 even worse off than our our financial markets. But you know they they have what's called the military to they have the military authority to do whatever the hell they're going to do. Uh, we we still have we still have some semblance of ability to to counteract that, and it isn't even about that. Really, that's one of the things we have to get away from. But to try to be peaceful with peaceful is a very difficult strategy because you have people that are going to get in your face they're going to try to antagonize you and they they're like you know like i said the mass formation is overcome them they hate you so much you can yeah you could i don't know it's going to be very difficult i mean and and of course they 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 despise you they tell you you're not christian and this and that and they think they know about christianity and they know how to uh, you're gonna have to sit there and literally get, take a beat down from these people because they think that they're they just they they they're fed these lies and and they they say oh you you worship worship uh, dictator Trump or whatever it's like I don't worship him I never did and nobody else uh, honestly ninety ninety percent of the people I talked to that would even vote for him they just liked him because he he was he at least he was improving the economy. And guess what? The middle class in the, in this country was actually starting to make some headway, which, God forbid, the globalists don't want that. They don't want this country to run. This country has enormous resources. We have enormous potential. We have the enormity. We have the. We do have the greatest ability to use infrastructure and natural resources and water and and, and mental and psychological and. And even a humanitarian spirit, but the bankers, the evil people at the top, they want conflict and war, and they want us all at each other's throat. They want hatred. They really do. They just want you. They want us all dead. That's really in the in the in the in the end game. They want everybody dead. That they don't. That it has even a remotest idea of an individual thought or individual freedom. They want to snuff that out in humanity's existence. Yeah, I think they, they, they we go through cycles, and he was talking about the mass formation growing greater and greater over time. Um, when I say greater and greater, it's gotten more and more uh, pronounced, and the lethality of it is grown greater. And um, I suggest you watch or re-listen to his pot, his uh, cast with uh, uh, Peter. Mc- I cut off Peter McCullough and Robert Malone. Um, Sorry for that, but uh, you can listen to Joe Rogan and get their individual podcasts where they talk to Joe Rogan uh, and what they were talking about, and they talk about the nuances of of, of the COVID uh, at nineteen, and now we can call it, I think, in my opinion, a pandemic. Um, I think, psychologically speaking, uh, for, or psychological, there was a psychological plan that was put in place by. Our uh, neocon, neoliberal, and World Economic Forum friends to uh, manipulate. They used the media initiative projects. They called it the. Uh, he he mentioned the name of this uh, um, this Truth Initiative project that the BBC was sponsored to, 
and a host of others are all invested into it, like Facebook. And and if you get into details about Thomas uh, Reuters, uh, Reuters, I can't pronounce it right, um, they're backed and supported by uh, the Gates. BBC Media Action's gotten like 50 or 60 uh, a million dollars from Bill Gates directly. Uh, George Soros does supports that also through his open societies. He also supports a number of other uh, activities that, oh, by the way, uh, Gates uh, connects through the new venture fund. All this money, and they have... <laughs> and the thing is, is you know these people front-run all their trades. So they're not making their money through, uh, uh, you know... They're not making it through legal means. They're, they're ill-gotten gains. Um, that's true enough. Uh, it helps in, in Gates's, uh, Gates. Gates wasn't exactly uh, an inventive dude. He just stole a lot of technology from IBM. Uh, he stole a software system from a guy originally. And he was able to hire enough talented people. His skills are legal in hiring. And that's really about it. I don't think he's written a line of code in 40 years or more. It really doesn't matter. I'm not picking on him, but he's he's a parasite. He always has been, and he just changed over from uh, software technology to hustling uh, uh, vaccines. And he, I, there was a video today I, I downloaded of uh, Fauci from 2009, and he, he laid out the plan. He laid out their plan about getting uh, predictable cash flows for profitability for vaccines and getting everybody vaccinated and having a uh, having a yearly flu uh, vaccine distributed around the world and then having initially to have multiple vaccines per year. You notice they just want to stick needles in your arm. Quite interesting. They don't want to stick healthy stuff in your arm. They just want to stick needles in your arm. And I know I'm going way off the tangent here, but, you know, it all kind of interplays. There's so much, I mean, I could probably talk for another hour and a half but i'm going to cut it at this uh i got some other things to take care of so i'll play our closed out music today it's different from normal so hello there is no political solution
Well, everybody, I'm going to close it out at this point. Take care of yourself. It's been a a nice long broadcast. I put in a lot of links, and um, I hope you have an enjoyable rest of your day or whenever you listen to this. Um, Thank you very much.